Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 30. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, joined as always by Jared Benson, Jared the Casual, or rather now the Mercenary. I don't know if we'll stick with that, but uh, that was what we said on one of our previous episodes. And actually, I keep saying this is Bard's Backlog, but this is the Hall of Games. Welcome to the Hall of Games, um, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into said hall. Uh, we are the gatekeepers and potential subsequent executioners of any video game candidates, including today's. Write in. emails askvgb at gmail.com. You can support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like, which has not been happening, uh, following us there, which also does not matter because that has not been happening, or on your podcast surface of choice and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We accept all honest reviews as long as they are five stars. Jared, I feel convicted. I probably should be posting on social media a lot more, but that's been a thing for me recently. I just haven't been wanting to do Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I just don't feel the urge. Maybe it's just the time of my life that I'm in, but I just don't want to post. I don't know. Like, I'll scroll through memes. Like, that's my thing with social media these days, Mm. but I don't connect with people on it. I'm not, like, posting myself, so... Am I becoming like the the creeper in the background on social media? Probably. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. It's like its utility, its purpose has not been applicable to my life recently, I guess. So do you feel the same way? I'm not sure. Is it a 20s thing or is it just me? I think that everyone... So what seems to be happening is, um, you know two or three companies launch at the same time with the same product. And they all grow, maybe at different rates. One has a better advertising, one has a better product, I don't know. And then eventually one comes out on top and does their best to get to a point where they can acquire the other. So, uh, you know, Ford owns many small brands. You know, GM owns Chevy as well as plenty of others. Like, they eventually get to, you know, that's just car companies. And then Google or Alphabet owns YouTube and Google, right? It's different stuff like that. And I feel like, to be honest with you, what we're seeing in in these uh, last couple of years is the bottlenecking of social media into the select few who are influencers, that's where that term comes from, and the rest of us. And to be mm-hmm. honest, the majority of people on social media are just lurking. So I don't think that's yeah. abnormal. I think that's you settling into the role that I don't love this enough to pursue being an influencer in any way. And I don't use that as a dirty term. I just think that you're settling into the role of lurker and watcher. Um, and I am as well. And I think it's just the division that when you realize you don't want to do this, you don't want to be the influencer. You don't want to be in front of the camera for the rest of the rest of your life. You know, you kind of just settle into, I'd rather not. And then you mm-hmm. become content with where you're at. And I'm in the same place. Um, I really don't. I, I'm not happy to be in front of the camera. I'm not against it, but I'm also, uh, I'm not addicted to it like some people are. Yeah. So that's just, uh, my. I'm happily uh, lurking. So that's me. I'm with you, though. I, right. It might be a 20s thing, but that's what I think is happening. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I still have friends. It's more Instagram than anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we're at the, I guess you could say, at the very end of the millennials and then at the very start of Gen Z. Like, we're in that category, so... Mm-hmm. I still have friends my age who are, you know, posting on Instagram pretty, 
pretty often. Like they'll just post like, yeah, I went, you know, I went on a snowboarding trip or, yep. um, you know, had this fun event or whatever. But like, that's not like, that's not like the kids these days are all on TikTok and they're posting all kinds of crazy dance videos and stuff. Like we're almost graduating out of that fervor, you know, unless you are an influencer and, and right. more into just like the, if we want to, we'll post the occasional update on our life and that's it. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've just had an aversion to it ever since my accident. Honestly, I've had an aversion to it. So, sure. um, unfortunately that means I haven't been pushing the podcast as much as I probably should. But part of the idea here is also kind of to accumulate a vault that you can go back to over time. Right. And, and check out. So anyway, this is, of course, uh, a backlog here. So let's talk about our video games that we've been discussing. Last time we talked about God of War 2018. Great video game. Had a great conversation about that. Go check out episode number 29. This week we've got Bloodborne on the table. So we'll be talking about that. Excited about that conversation. Before we jump into our first segment, of course, the games we play. Jared, question for you here. What is the best pizza? So I don't really consider Chicago deep dish a pizza as much as it is like a casserole almost. Um, I agree with that. Have you ever had Chicago deep dish? Once. Yes. And I agree with that assessment. It is like a one slice and you're done kind of a thing. (laughs) Yes. It really is. And and also too, there's this like idea of um, party pizzas, these big sheet pizzas that your youth group used to get. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like trash, nasty, like mozzarella and cheap pepperoni. And like, that's not an <laughs> art form either. That's just like the baseline capitalism. And I don't like that. Little Caesars <laughs> is in that category. Any th- big sheet pizza can be in that category unless it's like exceptional. But I mean, in my mind, pizza is an artisan pizza, a margarita. You know, a margarita pizza, a mm. um, you know maybe a Caribbean pizza, even or even like a, something that's new, and that's why to me, more than anything else, I think pineapple does go on pizza because I want everything on pizza. I want people to like. I like it this way. I like it this way. I'm making a little toss pizza. You know, to make the dough yourself, to toss it in the air, practice tossing dough. That's really fun. You know, flour your everything and uh, your table and your tossing. You're working the dough out. You're trying to get it good. And then you just kind of bake that nicely and you turn it, rotate it a couple of times. It's an art. Put whatever you want on it, you know. So when I go out, I like New York style because I like really strong cheeses and flavors. I like six cheeses pizza, uh, six cheese pizzas and, and stuff, and margaritas. And um, there's one from Blaze Pizza, which is, I think, a kind of a southwest thing or southeast, whatever. Blaze Pizza is a chain, but they have one called the Red Vine or something like that. That one's really good. It's got some uh, tomatoes and spinach on it. So to me, to me, pizza, I like thin crust. I like, you know, uh, wood wood fire baked uh, in that big like six hundred degree oven that they have the fire fire open fire ovens. That's what I think. It's not this corporate. Although let me just say, Domino's pan fried is delicious because it's greasy as all get out. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and Domino's is the best pizza chain in my opinion. But. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's my answer, long answer. Why? Do you have a pizza beef with someone? Do I need to go no. beat someone up for their bad pizza views? No, I just, I knew you had a history with pizza. I have a, I mean, I love pizza. Everybody loves pizza, you know? So yeah. just thought I'd bring it up. It is definitely like a, a, there's tears to it. Like there's, there's different levels of pizza, 
you know yeah. like with burgers it's almost like oh i'm not sure am i gonna get a good quality burger this time or maybe not sure. uh, whereas with pizzas it's pretty much like yeah if you go where you're going you're gonna get what you get yeah. um so like let me little just caesars toss... is gonna be the same every time <laughs> yeah do you know why little caesars is so cheap i don't because little caesars is more of a trucking company than a pizza company the reason they're able to be so cheap is because they own the whole logistical chain of making pizza. That's huh. why. Yeah, okay. so that's why it tastes like cardboard is because you know, <laughs> they're cheapening it down as, as, quick, as much as possible, but they also own all of the trucks that deliver them their ingredients. So they don't have, to, like, they don't have a bunch of middlemen, uh, third parties, serving them all of the ingredients, right? Like Papa John's, they outsource their mozzarella from, uh, from actually from Italy, uh, their tomato from Italy and their sauce mm. from a special place. Like they're, they actually do have quality ingredients. They have a, a chain that's backed them up. Uh, but they have to pay more for that. And to be honest, the quality declines at the store, right? And I would know because I've worked there. And, uh, and so that's, that's their issue. But they can't, they can't dip to, to Little Caesars because they don't own the logistics of it. So that's interesting. But interesting. Uh, yeah. that's why Little Caesars tastes like cardboard. <laughs> I'd agree with you, though, like, they're like artisanal pizzas. Like if you can find a place that really oh, yeah. goes for that quality, like every time that, that chef's touch, Oh yeah, there's nothing like it. Like there's nothing like a high quality pizza, which pizza is good no matter what it is. Unless it's like, you know, your high school basketball game pizza, like that's definitely going to be rough, but otherwise it's really hard to do it wrong, but there is a way to do it. So, so right. That yes. tastes so good. So yes. um, I definitely go for margaritas. I remember on the cruise I went on, they had a pizza bar that was open 24-7, and they oh. made really good margarita pizzas. I gained a solid six pounds just based oh on my goodness. that one week <laughs> eating pizza. is so good. Anyway, enough of the saucy goodness. Let's talk about the games we play in. Jared, I know we're pretty much playing the same game, aren't we? I don't yeah. know if you have any other ones to throw in nope. there. Of course, everybody nope. is playing Elden Ring right now. So, Jared, and I we're think... we're not ashamed. You know, we are not no. ashamed of the fact that we're obsessed <laughs> with this. <laughs> definitely not. No, definitely not. And, and, and I don't want to spoil too much. I'd love to do a whole episode on it. So, let's keep most of that conversation for that. But... Just some quick impressions, Jared. What? How are you feeling about the game? Is there? And actually, part of Alden Ring's experience, the experience I've been having, is is what I want to talk about with our default segment. So we'll get to some more detail there. But how are you feeling about it? What are you thinking about it? I I feel great about the game. I've actually not been able to find any flaws. There you any go. Any flaws? And there's a difference between like for me, I really try to draw a line between a flaw and a preference. Um, yeah. like even in our conversation, sometimes I'll bring something up and then I'll walk it back in the podcast because I realize, or I, I have to disclaim that this is just a preference of mine really. Um, but I really haven't been able to find any flaws, no glitches. Online play is smooth and my Wi-Fi is not even that good. 
Um, online play is smooth. It's it's uh, everything. The, the world is massive. It's so big, it's almost overwhelming, and that's what you mm. want in an RPG. Uh, it's just good stuff. And the lore, the lore it's not... I, I think... It's it's as cohesive as Dark Souls One at least, um, and but I don't think it's as cohesive as something like Sekiro, right? Mm. So it's still got that FromSoft vagueness, and I like that. Um, it doesn't and, have the heart of Sekiro. Like Sekiro's got like the intimate character, like you've got oh, yeah. obviously Wolf, and then you have um, the heir, the dragon heir, yep. and yep. Um, Lady Emma, Owl. And like there's Ishin, a lot more Owl. of like oh, yeah. relational things going on. Yes, yes. That even yeah, Elden Ring <clears throat> doesn't have for sure. Right. Yeah. So I I I certainly think that that's. It, not to the level of Sekiro, it's not as cohesive, it's intentionally more vague, but like you're so overwhelmed with the, right now I haven't gotten too far into the story, but I'm very pleased with what I've found uh, so far. So it's been a delicious adventure and I can't wait to talk more about it. But what's, what's Sweet. shocked me more and what I've enjoyed even more is the community and uh, texting you, talking to my friends at work who have been playing this game. I have loved that so much. I've been Being on ground Elden zero. Ring. Blackout, yes, absolutely. And I told you I was just going to play this game with a notebook and a pen, and that's it. Like that's I have stuck to that. No googling, nothing. I've just in my notebook I've written, haven't figured this one out yet. I'll come back later to next to things like that. So just throwing it in there as I go. It's awesome. It's been great. The only thing I looked up, and I'm kicking myself for having done it because it it the game was trying to be obvious about it. The only thing I looked up was how to find map. Um, pieces. I don't know. What do they call it? Just like parts of the map. I see. Because I was going into those areas and like not finding the spot. And I was like, man, there's got to be like some indicator for where they are. And obviously, like once you learn what it is, it's like, oh, I know exactly where to go to find it. Like, yeah, it's not trying to hide it. But because it didn't click with me, I wasn't finding them as much as I wanted to. Yeah. So that was the one thing I looked up. Otherwise, I haven't looked up anything else. And uh, it's been awesome. I've been having a yeah. grand old time. I mean, I don't have much to say other than what you've said. It's it's great. Uh, very hard to find a flaw. Um, it's what you imagined Dark Souls could be. And oh yeah, here it is in all its splendor here and it glory. Yes. So yes, I have just been soaking it in and yes. really trying to enjoy every drop of it. Like honestly, I'm so not terrified, but just like not looking forward to when it's over and yeah. for me it, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a long time because it's such a large world yeah. but yeah like even just like the main story like i'm not looking forward to when it's over and, and i've yeah. really been avoiding <laughs> even going to like those main areas but great game great game and we'll definitely pick up with that in yeah. our own episode w- in the future i would just add one last thing if if you're listening to this now go get elden ring and jump in on the community now while it's hot for um, sure that's what I would that's the only thing I would add but it it is it is a masterpiece folks it really is nothing like being at the ground zero of a from software launch nothing like it oh yeah so it's been awesome yeah all right that's the games we playing let's talk about our strange default segment
for our segment this week, Jared, I wanted to ask you, kind of tying into Elden Ring here, here's the question. Do open world games lack a focus? What do you think about that? This was a question that came to my mind just thinking through not only Elden Ring, but Horizon. I remember our conversation with God of War kind of bringing up this thought with me as well because they started to incorporate some open-worldy stuff in it, and it didn't quite commit to it. But that was because they were trying to focus. And so like, part of me wonders, like, is there an issue with the open-world concept in general in that it is one that lacks a focus that other games are able to enjoy that open worlds sure. just simply cannot based on their nature. Yeah. Um, yes and no. Obviously I have to answer that question that way. Um, yes. In the sense that if you're talking about the open world itself, if the open world itself is not designed for for leveling up, then it does lose some focus because why is it there? And if it's not designed for, uh, like in, for instance, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn struggles with this just a little bit because the, you don't actually, you don't really level up Aloy. That's not quite, like it's not stat intensive. Um, everyone's got the same base model character that can do everything. You switch out your weapons and you switch out your armor just a little bit. But um, up until this, latest game you're really not doing any crafting um that's something like you have a couple skill trees but that's the max amount of that's about the upgrading you're doing yes it really is and those are sometimes take them or leave them you you really don't use all of them they give you about like 30 skills and you you definitely don't use all of them um it's just kind of here and there um so why is it there and to be honest with you horizon can get away with it because they have such an enjoyable open world game where the the core mechanic of the game, which is hunting and running for monsters, is such a good, it's so smooth that they can get away with that. But mm. God of War, on the other hand, because God of War is so difficult to level up in, and it really does take a lot of grinding in that exploration to get to the point where you can um, level up and you can find those things that expand your health, and you can only do it three times. Um, so it's like... You know, I don't, it struggles a little bit. The open world's not as strong. Um, Skyrim, Skyrim kind of was like a combination of all the lore put together in many different mini stories, but they were all had a start and end point that was clearly defined. Um, most of the time, FromSoft's exploration tends to be related to the main theme most of the time. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit that I like in Bloodborne in the sense that like every little snippet you find does have something to do with the overall theme of things. Um, So that's great. I would say yes and no. Like some games can get away with not having a point to the open world other than it just being an open world and they've got really good combat and that's really smooth. But I think that if you're not using it for stat building, it really does lose its focus, especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have a strong lore background. And what we're talking about is the vague weak points of God of War is the reason it just, that open world didn't punch as hard as it could have, I think. Um, And it's a great question. What do you think, Josh? Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I I mean, yes and no, too. I think that Elden Ring is an interesting, like, just conversation to have because the open world aspect of it is what is supposed to be setting it apart from the other Dark Souls games. But even having the open world in its own way almost 
like if there's anything from the game that I wish was not there, it is how broad it is on some level. And let me explain that because it is something at the same time that I wanted. <laughs> so it's like, right. it's a back and forth because I love the open world on one hand, but on the other hand, like I find myself constantly like, and I found this in breath of the wild too, like at the start of the game and Elden ring and breath of the wild have the same vibe of like, the whole world is in front of you. You don't know which direction to go. Everything yeah. is new. It's not like like in an Assassin's Creed open world, it leads you by the hand from place to place. Right. And Assassin's Creed open worlds are, I think, open worlds purely with that focus. So it is just giving you stuff to do, and that's what makes Assassin's Creed fun. But Dark Souls wasn't that. Like Dark Souls was about the journey. It's about the struggle. You know, it's about the difficulty of facing that new area, facing yeah. that next new enemy, and that challenge, and not but, knowing where to go, and not knowing where to go for one. But but it was a led experience on some level. Like you went from area to area, yes. and sometimes yes. they connected back and forth. But like they had specific challenges that you face in each of those. With right. Elden Ring. Because it's open, you can run away. Like, yeah. well, and you can run away in Dark Souls too, but like not as easily. Right. You have to, you know, push through an area if you really want to survive. Um, in Elden Ring, you like I find myself constantly getting on my horse and just sprinting around people, and like it almost feels reduced in my mind because of that. Like once I figured out, okay, kind of the feel of how the open world worked. I started to almost shrink the game in my mind mm. where I would jump from objective to objective. I'd go to that area that I knew I hadn't been to before simply to go find that next landmark or, you know, challenging enemy or whatever. And then I'd run away or whatever. Like, I don't know if I'm making sense, but like there's something about that open world side of it that does almost lose its focus for me in Elden Ring that Dark yeah. Souls doesn't have the issue with because it's not open world like that one is structured in such a way they have the experience they want you to have whereas yeah. open world is open in such a way that like it's trying to give you all the experiences that anybody can have yeah but because of that the focus is not there and it's been it's been a back and forth for me in my mind like i love dark souls 3 because it seems so honed in yeah. on like just giving you that brutal experience, new enemy, new territory every single time. Dark or Elden Ring has that. Like when you run into an area, you're going to face that and you're going to have some exploration and difficulty. But like once you kind of get a couple of map chunks and once you kind of get a few lost graces in that area, you can start to almost reduce the area in your mind to what you need to get done and what you what you can just simply avoid and run around yeah. and something about that bums me out i don't <laughs> i can't even put a finger on it but like that's that's the thing with open worlds for me is and that's the thing like we brought up horizon like horizon's open world is one that to me is simply there to add in more combat like, I almost wish right. that we could have a Horizon game that had specific combat scenarios that the developer had, like, put some time and effort into where you had this particular, you know, um, encounter with this set of beasts. And they do some of that, like, especially when you go into the cauldrons, you get that. Like, you, you get that experience of, well, yeah, they're, they're funneling you towards a major boss in the middle against a massive new yes. 
a beast or whatever. So you get that in that moment. The cauldrons do that well, but also just to the, the hunting grounds are what that they do that in the hunting grounds is very specific. Yes. uh, Fight scenarios. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're talking about, but, but it's a little bit more. Yeah. And Elden Ring does that too. Like you get your dungeons, you have the like major parts of the map, like going into uh, Lyernia of the lake. If you go to that main castle there, um, the Academy or whatever it's called that has like, you go into that and all of a sudden it feels like classic dark souls because you're like having to turn the corner and face that next enemy and you can't pull out your horse and run away. But then in between that's all the open world stuff. And it's like, ah, like dark souls three was all just that portion of Lyernia of the lake, like just the castle, you know, but over and over and over and over. And there's just something about that. That's awesome in its own way. That's true focused in its own way that the open world just because of its pure nature simply cannot deliver on. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Like by the time I've seen my 20th dragon in Elden ring, the surprise factor of the open world has lost its, <laughs> its excitement. I don't know. I am Josh. I'm almost 50 hours into Elden ring. That's embarrassing to say, but it's true. I'm almost 50 hours into Elden ring and I still haven't genuinely tried to fight a dragon. I've fought the most recent, the closest one to the start. I killed him, and then I went and took out one in Larnier of the Lake. Most of them, though, yeah, I just run away from. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been yeah. to that area? I think it's right above um, Kalid that has, it's like a ridiculous amount of dragons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so it, oh, I can't, we, we can't talk about this, because we're getting, we get, this is like, this is, <laughs> we gotta save it for the Elden Ring episode. You're right, but, you're right. But uh, me and my little notebook know exactly how to access that area of the map early in game. So it's like, you know, that, that, that's, uh, that was an adventure for me. I, that, the wow factor was there. But I, there, there's something about Elden Ring 2. You just kind of get a sense after beating your head against a wall for even just a couple minutes. Like, I'm too early for this area. I can't, yep. I can't handle this right now. My technique's not here. Or my player build is disadvantaged, so I'm not strong enough yet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, for sure. And I, that's a, that's a yeah. good thing. Like that is a good quality of an open world. Like to me, Elden Ring nails that side of things like having like the, oh, I shouldn't be over here yet. Yeah, that's fun. But I don't know. There's something about just the slightly more concentrated focus of the worlds of a Dark Souls, sure. of a Bloodborne yeah. that I just miss. I miss when it so, comes to an open world. For me, beating my head against a wall in certain areas was always like in the back of my mind, I knew that I had the ability to fast travel to the entire other side of the world to mm-hmm. switch things up and give myself a change of pace if I was getting frustrated or just you know couldn't get past this. Maybe I can grind somewhere else in an easier area or take on just a catacomb, feel confident in my ability, get into a rhythm of momentum, and then come back to this. In Dark Souls 1, you can't do that because mm-hmm. there's no cross-linearity until you finally get to an Orlando and are able to... Uh, fast travel just a little bit. So the the taking away the tediousness of the fact that the depths doesn't connect to an Orlando, taking away the fact that the fortress, Sven's fortress or uh, not self, uh, something with an S, I don't remember. Um, the the fortress doesn't connect to. I think it's Sen's fortress. You right. is it Sen's? It's Sen's, not Selvin's. Sen's fortress doesn't connect to the forest. You have to. You you know what I'm saying? Like you have yeah. to. Well, actually, that's not true. It it does, but it loosely. does through the through where the um, 
Andre Blacksmith is, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, Andre exactly. Is but. but but do you see what I'm saying? Like it's just tedious yeah. to try to get all the way down to the Hydra from Sense Fortress, as opposed to Elden Ring takes away that tediousness. And what it does say is like, I believe the combat in Elden Ring is actually like a little bit harder than DS1 and a little oh, bit harder. I agree with that. Okay, a little bit harder than Bloodborne. Not as hard as Sekiro, but Sekiro is just a different vibe. It's more of like a rhythm thing. Um, so this game is a little bit more tactile. It's a little bit more difficult. So when you do commit to the fight instead of running away, or you get to an area in which you can't run away because you're you're not allowed to have your mount in there, then it's, it's on. It's game time. But it up is, until yeah. that point you can run away at any time. And I like that freedom. I, uh, you know, instead, you know, I've been laughing maniacally. I don't know if you saw my tweet. Every time I see an article that says, here's how you can pause Elden Ring, <laughs> I laugh. And it's not a healthy laugh. It's a, I'm laughing at your suffering laugh because <laughs> this is a game that's gained so much mainstream hype that even non, non uh, FromSoft fans are playing it. And, um, so, you know, I, I would respectfully disagree with almost everything that you've said because mm. I really found that the, the tediousness of having a non-compatibility between certain areas in the original Dark Souls, and again, I haven't played two or three, full disclosure, the, a non-compatibility from some area to some other, it made it tedious to try to switch up my gameplay and try to, you know, get some confidence sure. and momentum of different areas. It was just grind in this one area until you could figure it out. And sometimes... If you realize that you were too underleveled for an area, you were really stuck, really stuck. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. See, but it, to it, me, that yeah. tedium is a part of the charm. Like, right. That right. beating your head against that one challenge because that's the only challenge you have is something just oh, like one of the most not disappointing because I don't want to say disappointing because I'm loving Elden Ring, but like just a moment where I was like, oh, was when I went to Margaret the Fell. And, like, that was the path, you know, the original Lost Grace kind of points you in that direction. So I was like, shoot, I'm going to go that way for now. I got to him. He was an incredibly difficult boss. And I kept throwing myself against him over and over and over until I beat him. I went out and did a couple more things out in the open world. But, like, to me, that's what Dark Souls always was, was, like, okay, this is the boss. I got to beat him. I know he's ridiculously hard and I'm like hardly doing any damage against him, but like, this is what I got to do. Maybe I'll go grind to the previous area beforehand. But after I realized, after I beat Margaret the Foul, I realized like, wait a minute, I could have gone to the right. I could have gone up. I could have went, you know, to this other direction down south and just explored so much more of the game before I beat him that to me, I got the reward of the challenge of of defeating him early on like that, but knowing that I like it was almost artificial, like it wasn't something that mm. everyone had to go through. Like other people could have taken these other routes, which again is freedom. Yeah. So having that freedom is glorious to so mm. many people, you know. But for me, the tedium, the struggle, is not there on the same level. Like sure. now, I've gotten to the point with the game where yeah, when I face something that I can tell is just slightly more overpowered than me i just move on like i go somewhere else and i and i conquer that area and i just get to the point where i just feel almost a little too strong constantly and that open world is what is giving me that lack of challenge almost and it's not i mean it's still a very challenging game my goodness and the amount of mix-ups that miyazaki is still finding with enemy move sets and stuff is still 
wow. Like, I love it. Like, yeah. that's been so much fun. I, and I've still not explored, like, I've still got so much more to see. And I, you know, all that to say, I still haven't beaten, um, what's his name? The Radon or whatever the heck his name is. He's a nightmare for me. Um, <laughs> and a couple of the other people. Like, it, like, there's still things and challenges for me to overcome. So it's not like I've figured it all out and I'm sitting here, you know, as some godlike player, like, oh, what's what next challenge is there? Yeah. How could I yeah, ever have not, my desire satiated? Yeah. But there's you're just not something from about one it. Punch man. Exactly. Um, but there is something about it like that that and maybe it's just a classic gamer thing, because that's that's me in a lot of games. Like I like the forced structure of a lot of games because it does seem like there's a little bit more of a focus and, and other people like the freedom. Yeah. So no, I, I, sur- so I wonder if this is a difference in our personalities and we're going to get a little psychological here. So let's hear it. So uh, imagine you're training with your dad. Your dad is your typical, you know, proto alpha male. And he says, we're going to train until you get this right. We are, we are not leaving here. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. You're not resting until you get this right. And you respect that level of training more than if you're training with your mother and she says, well, you come back when you're ready. And, and there is a difference in the open world that you're describing of Elden Ring. There's a come back when you're ready element that the first you know, three Dark Souls games does not have. It says you will not leave. It will be hard for you to quit this training uh, because you know, you've done the other parts of the game and you're bottlenecked now. You're kind of soft locked a little bit if you don't Get past this. If you don't do what I'm telling you, you will not advance. And that's how those Dark Souls games can feel, especially because from Firelink, I mean, seriously, it's to the right. No one goes to the left first in, in Dark Souls 1. That, you, you, heading down to the catacombs? Yeah, right. Try that early game. <laughs> that's not happening. Well, so you can't even get across that graveyard. So. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, um, it's absolutely just you know one way bottleneck here you go take a right let's go buddy training starts now and Elden Ring doesn't do that it absolutely lets you take your time when you commit to the challenge like I said it's hard but up until that point you have the freedom to say uh not for me and I think that's what's going to make this game more mainstream and subsequently be the number one complaint of all FromSoft fans is oh now it's mainstream now my now my favorite hipster game is mainstream, and I don't like them anymore. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen any of that. I haven't, but like that's is that me, Jared? Am I the old fogey in this? No, no, I don't think so. Example. Maybe it's just a difference in our personalities, and it's also the reason why I'm the casual and you're not. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's that's the key of it. Like I did not grow up on Minecraft. I grew right. up on Super Mario Bros. Right, and just like World Structure. One One. Right. Go straight. <laughs> right. Like, right. Exactly. that was me. So, yeah, I think it is that. I think that definitely plays a huge factor in it. I will say, lots of open worlds, though, do lack focus. It is a difficult thing to pull off an open world that is vibrant, that is lively, that really pays off on the concept. I mean, I mean, God of War struggled with it, you know? And so many games do. A game like Elden Ring, a game like Breath of the Wild shows the power of an open world on one hand, but then at the same time, there's a part of me that misses that that structure of a Zelda game, that structure of a Dark Souls game. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that no. is perhaps just a preference. I'm with you. I uh, I think Zelda, the reason why Zelda's um, 
open world actually doesn't lack focus in one way is because the weapons break. And so you need to explore mm. to farm weapons. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not really stat boosting. Well, I mean, although it is stat boosting because you achieve a significant level of hearts and level up. So that is part of it too. But uh, but the and and the little uh, dungeons that give you a sphere orb at the end, like that's crucial. So there mm-hmm. is a focus to the exploration of Zelda for sure. And that's why that formula works. Um, Horizon less so, and then God of War even more less so because of the way the games are structured. Um, but... Uh, you know, it is what it is. I would, and Skyrim does stat leveling a little better than both Horizon and God of War, so it can get away with the open world. Again, if your focus is not stat leveling and it's not lore, then what do you have? And for Skyrim, it was stat leveling and mini stories all over the place with yeah. werewolves and vampires and stuff, especially with those amazing DLCs that they launched, which, in my opinion, saved saved the game really and kept interests afloat for years to come afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. But the man, we got to cover Skyrim. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I could go. T- I could go. I could do that tonight. I have that game memorized. Um, but, but the, um, uh, but what was I saying? So the, but the, yeah, absolutely. You have to have a focus to it, and I certainly see. I certainly see what you're saying for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, good conversation then. That is our default segment. Let's jump into Jared, our pick of this week, and that is Bloodborne. Bloodborne, a From Software game. We're jumping back in time here to, what was it, 2015? I think, 2015, yeah. that Bloodborne came out. So, obviously, there's been FromSoft games since then. They've had Dark Souls 3. They've had Sekiro. Now, of course, Elden Ring. So, they've improved on this formula. But Bloodborne was the one out of all of the From Software games that put From Software on the mainstream map. So let's talk about it, Jared. What do you think of Bloodborne? Overall impressions. Um, let's actually jump into specifically to start here. Um, impressions, yes, but the world itself. This uh, Lovecraftian, gothic, just dripping with blood mm-hmm. world. Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this game, Jared? It's very different in that way from a Sekiro so how did you feel about it? You are definitely out of, I think, out of all of the specialties that you have, the world lore, the story is where you bring in a lot of great insight. So what did you think? Yeah, the, the, the opening sequence really sets the tone for this. Low light, you give it, you're being given an ID, people you don't know are standing over you, creepy as all get out, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. 
And there is tremendous, tremendous religious significance to blood in stories across the world in all cultures. Um, and uh, so for the emphasis of this game to be so much so on the blood really sets the tone for the entire entirety of the game. And they really don't deviate from that theme. Um, mm-hmm. You could say that the game is gothic. It's Lovecraftian as the favorite term to describe the you know analogy is used. But that opening sequence where a um, the messengers come out and drag the wolf away from you and you're hallucinating just a little bit and this creepy, deranged thing crawls out of the ground at you and you're you're attached to this IV. You're stuck. You're immobilized. Have you ever had sleep paralysis, Josh? Yes. It is one of the most terrifying things that I've ever experienced. You feel like you will die because you cannot get your body to respond to your brain. It's one of the scariest things ever. And that's the opening start of this game. And so it's, it really sets the tone for the rest of the playthrough and this, these overt, overt religious references, the church of this, the church of that, the college of this, academic and belief systems in the power of old blood, fear the old blood. It's, it's insane. And it's one of the most cohesive vibes of a game that I've, that I've ever played. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I certainly was weirded out and very pleased that I was weirded out. Um, you, you start with this, you know, the, the first big boss most people fight is the cleric beast, which is this like almost, he reminds me of the, um, uh, the, the optional boss at the end of Sekiro with the weird arm. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. The, the beast. Um, I can't think of what his name is. Yeah, beast of wrath or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Like the, uh, uh demon of hatred. Um, that's what that's he reminds right. me. Yep. Of. And, and it's He's writhing. There's tentacles, there's oozing, there's like goo everywhere. He's and like screaming. Yes. Yes. So it is creepy and Gothic and everything that a deranged medieval city with horrible religious practices should be in every sense of the word. These fuzzy, gross, and nasty beasts with, with goo all over the place and like so much to it. And, and really doesn't snap that theme except for maybe one or two enemies like the Celestials. Those are weird. Those are they're kind of out of place just a little bit. Um, but everything That's else... Lovecraft there, though. Come yeah. On. But everything else, I mean, just nails that aesthetic. Um, it's as if Lovecraft made a video game, and I think that's a large part of why people love it. Absolutely, absolutely. So going into Yarnum, when you first start the game, of course you you die likely to the wolf, right? And then you you'll die eventually anyway, because um, you need your weapon. So go back to the dream, get that stuff, head back into Yarnum. What were you thinking? Uh, I, that first portion there is really forcing you to adapt to the game like yarnum that's what it's for like it you you fight a couple of the people going out on the hunt and then you come across a giant crowd of them you know very quickly which is like if you do not know this game you are going to be throwing yourself against that crowd over and over and over until you finally figure out the game the the mechanics and everything so yeah how did you feel about that initial start First impressions there, was it something that bogged you down or did you rise to the challenge and enjoy it? What did you think, Jared? No, because as soon as I ran out of the bed, realized that I you know, got up from the bed, you're all by yourself, 
There's blood all over the floor. There's IV bags, empty hospital beds. It looks dirty and grungy. And like, okay, all right. The first thing that hits you is definitely the aesthetic. Um, and then, you know, the way that they describe your character stat build out, you know, privileged or whiny or <laughs> like that's, that's in theme as well. And you head down the stairs and you see this wolf, which is obviously feasting on some kind of a carcass, but it's inside the home. What is a werewolf, wolf, beast, nasty looking thing doing inside of a house? And you realize immediately just how messed up this world is. And then it kills you. And you're immediately reminded that you're playing a Dark Souls from soft game. <laughs> and, and so I, when I saw that wolf and I was like, this thing is about to kill me, I could just tell. So I, I actually let it kill me. I just kind of agitated yeah. it, aggroed it, and then just died because I was like, I have to die here. This, this is intentional. Um, you know, I, I know I'm too, I'm too wise to the ways of, of this game, these, these games. So um, that's, that's what happened, and that's how I started out, and here we go. Let, let's do it. Another FromSoft title, and, and here we go. I, I actually really liked, it felt, in a good way, quite familiar to Firelink Shrine. Quite familiar. Um, testing my surroundings, you see an entrance to the right or to the left, like, oh, I'm going to have to hit, I'm gonna have to double back for that. Because one of the things that is that FromSoft does so well is allowing you to, if you put the work in, create your own shortcuts. And, mm-hmm. and to you have to earn your shortcuts. You have to earn your bypasses to these linear areas that you were talking, those structured linear areas that you were talking about earlier. And that's one of the first things that you have to do once you get past that crowd and get past the big fatty on the other end and then the pack of dogs and those hunters and you finally wiggle your way around and like, you know, try to figure out where you're going and what doors open where and stuff. And no, I can't open that one yet. It opens from the other side. You finally make your way back to where the starting point, you drop that ladder. Okay. First successful round, you know, me one from soft zero. And so that's, that's the, it's a great start to the game. It really is. It's fantastic. And at the start of the game, you're expecting to have nothing but questions and you're hoping they'll be answered throughout the process of you playing this game. So you don't mind that you don't know anything. Just the fact that there's hunters walking around looking for people to kill and burn is a great way to kick off this game. Uh, And I, I think it's fantastic. I think Yarnum is one of the greatest introductions to a video game of all time. Like yeah. that original open area will teach you everything you need to know about Bloodborne, everything you need to know about FromSoft, and what this experience is going to be for the rest of the game. Yeah. Once you get to the hunter, what's his name? Um the Father oh, Gascoigne. Yeah, Gascoigne. Um it once you get to him. You've pretty much made up your mind whether or not you're going to continue with this game. Yes. And then totally he agree. presents the next major challenge of like you're facing, you know, you're facing a hunter, you're kind of facing yourself in your own, in its own way. Yeah. Uh, plus the werewolf side of things like yep. that is the you know, the hazing ritual you have to go through in order to become a part of the college football team. And once you're a part of the team, then you're all in, but like Yarnum is such a perfect introduction to what this experience is going to be. And yeah. if you're all in with that, then man, are you going to have a good time with this game? Yeah. So really does a fantastic job. I, I quite frankly don't think any other from software game has done it to that level, uh, that original opening there um, that Bloodborne does. And every time I go back and revisit it, I'm like, man, this is perfect game design. Like 
like I said, like you push through that crowd and you said, you know, you push in ne- next to that uh, giant and he'll teach you like how to use your gun. Like it's like all these contextual clues that tell you how to use your, your gun, how to do the stun, yeah. um, that you have to be constantly dodging, that you have to wait for your opening. Oh, that you can actually refill your health as you hit them um with your moves and most of the enemies stagger so like it's a back and forth of like making sure that they don't hit you everybody's very fast in the game so you have to be fast too but if you can get that first hit in then you can follow up with multiple hits and really chip away at their health it just does all of that for you plus adding in all of the mystery going down to the tunnels like even when we first talked jared like I think on a previous podcast, uh, I was like, oh, did you see the pig? And you're like, what? Because you hadn't gone down that direction, which as a whole, Yarnum, that original start, is not that big, but it's giving you all these little small directions to go that with each of their own challenges that really just introduces you to what this game is going to be. And Mm -hmm. for, for me, like... I loved it, even the first time I played it. This was the first From Software game that I was able to push through the first part of it and get into it. So, like, for that reason, it's always been something that, when I think of From Software games, has its own soft spot in my heart. And the rest of the game, you know, it, it continues to challenge you, but I think once you can get into the cadence of it, it is... Uh, a back and forth of like okay i just need to get a little bit stronger okay i just need to figure out this person's moves just a little bit more in such a pure way that even dark souls games don't quite reach yes and yes and i love it for that i i would agree i i think that the the opening to this game is so straightforward here's how you play this game you're looking for a stagger opportunity and quick quick attacks and then you roll and you look for an opportunity and you look for an opening and there's one way to play this game and that's how you do it. You stagger with your left hand, you attack with your right, and trying to deviate from that will result in less than optimal results. And um, the the opposite in the reason why I was so frustrated with Dark Souls 1 is because the game doesn't let you know if you're doing it right because there's mm-hmm. so many ways to play the game. Bloodborne, it, there's, there's, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There's a yeah. ridiculous number of weapons and uh, um, amenities and, and all this, you know, whatever else you can use. But just about everyone has a gun and a weapon. And that's that's the baseline formula. And this game says, this is how you play this game. And that's really valuable. The issue with Dark Souls 1 is often the vagueness of the combat because you have to know what you're doing to 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 do it, right? And the game doesn't let you know if you're doing it wrong because there's so many ways to play. So it's like, theoretically, you could be doing it right, but mm-hmm. everyone dies. So it's not like you're dying more than everyone else because everyone's dying a lot. <laughs> so this game is is certainly, if you, because once you do it right, the game rewards you. Yes, if you get the yep. rhythm of your uh, stun in, uh, stun and attack, stun and visceral attack, all this different stuff, then you're good to go. You understand this in- inherently. And you try to apply that formula, and it's just about mastery of that one technique. Bruce Lee's famous, I fear the man who knows how to do, uh, I don't fear the man who knows how to do a thousand, who has done a thousand different techniques one time. I fear the man who has done one technique a thousand times. And that's what this game is. And it's much yep. more focused and much more honed in. And because of that, is superior to Dark Souls 1 uh, in, in many ways. 
for sure. Yeah, and and Sekiro is that too. Like, yes, it, like yes. From Software does that again with Sekiro, but it is a different thing. And I think Bloodborne does a better introduction of it. Sekiro kind of overwhelms you. I think almost does it in a very poor way, actually, because so many people get turned off by the first few parts of Sekiro, um, because I don't think it does the introduction as well. Um, but Bloodborne really does that well. It carries it through. That being said, there are some flaws here or there with it. And some of the world side of things, I mean, you mentioned questions being posed at the very start. It does not answer all of them. In fact, by the end, sometimes I think people are only more confused. <laughs> I know I was. Like, it, it does not deliver and a lot of that like the the lore tidbit side of things at least as far as i was hoping it would so there's some flaws with it but as you push through as you get stronger as you learn the techniques of your weapon and everything like this game is so focused on the combat delivery that you're gonna enjoy your time and this is why it became such a mainstream phenomenon that even sekiro is not able to achieve because sekiro does have kind of those elitist blockers to it um the get good side of things which bloodborne i mean all frost software games do have as well um, but not quite on the same level but was there a point jared for you where you did kind of get overwhelmed frustrated kind of wanted to quit where you're just like man this boss is way too difficult like i am just mad about this and, and you kind of wanted to to give in was there a particular point for you in the game that was similar to that? Um, only in the sense that some of these big bosses deviate from the formula that we just discussed. So even okay. if you do shoot a boss, it doesn't stagger sometimes. Um, sure. So that that's frustrating. And I really couldn't even tell you which bosses are like that. Um, but Most of them. <laughs> it, but it's it's like some of them don't do that. Like the, the, the three spirits of Yarnum, I guess, uh, the three dudes you fight in the forest, they stagger mm-hmm. if you shoot them, and so they follow the formula. But I don't. The cleric beast doesn't stagger. I mean, you can kind of light him on fire a little bit, and he'll like, you know, it says in the description of the firebomb or the Molotov. Sorry, excuse me. I'm still playing Elden Ring. The Molotov cocktail um, that if you light a beast on fire, some of them will appear crazed with euphoria because fire is a cleansing element, and I like that aspect. It's equivalent to a stagger. You can get a couple hits in essentially. But, um, but, but yeah, so it does deviate from the formula in the boss fights, and in that sense, that is a little frustrating. And I, I did play through Bloodborne online, and, and that's because I desperately needed the help. I needed summons, I needed this, I needed that. I just couldn't handle a lot of the main boss fights and advance to the next area without some help. The only boss I defeated purely on my own uh, was Father Gascoigne. That was it. Okay. Everyone else I needed help with. And I guess maybe that sounds pathetic, but but I also was trying to finish it up in a timely manner because I thought we were doing this podcast a little bit ago. Um, just didn't work well, out. Well, Elden Ring was too. coming out. Right, and Elden Ring's coming out and Forbidden West, which for me was a big release. And I haven't even touched it since just because I missed it. By I was still doing my master's, so I was like behind. I was like, well, I might as well just skip it for now and we'll go to Elden Ring because at least I know Josh is playing that one. So um, so that was my thought process. But but I was trying to finish Bloodborne in a timely manner, and I wasn't trying to beat my head against the wall when I knew what the solution was. The solution was to, you know, summon or ask for it. Because FromSoft loves their collaboration. And I love that about them. They love asking you to summon other players. They love invading. They love that PvP stuff. 
Um, and that is certainly an entire side of the game that's, you know, in my mind, in, in my life, I should say, underappreciated because I don't super enjoy the PvP. I'm more about the solo um, play, but um, it's certainly, um, I, yeah, I, I did enjoy the boss fights themselves, but that's largely because I wasn't super frustrated because um, I did summon often and regularly. Does that make sense? Sure. So yeah, yeah that was that was certainly what I was going. And in insight, what was it difficult about from so- the original Dark Souls is that you can actually pretty easily run out of the ability to summon other people. Like you can summon, um, um, what's his name? Uh, so many times to help you with Ornstein and Smo that you run out of summons. Solaire. <laughs> Yeah, Solaire. You can summon him so many times and beat your head against the wall so many times with that fight that you just, you know, you, you lose the ability to summon because you've spent it all. And this game makes Insight, which is kind of a secondary currency in the game, so readily available that you're able to summon regularly and often. And I took advantage of that, and it made the, the game much more enjoyable, to be honest with you. What did you think of the, um, like area not design so much but like flow of because you have the hunter's dream as like your obviously hub so you go back and forth to that and then you jump into tombstones for each area yeah what did you think of that did that make it feel because to me with bloodborne that is one of the things that makes it feel less cohesive than like a dark souls where dark souls you're running you know you find the shortcuts and stuff like you don't get that very much in bloodborne um, yeah. You get a couple shortcuts within areas, like yeah. we just talked about with the Arnhem. Yep. But especially once you get into it, like that kind of fades away. How did you feel about that? Were you okay with the more linear side of it, or did you kind of wish that there was more connectivity between areas? No, I thought it was a perfect amount of connectivity because it, okay. the reason, I, to be honest, and you, we've touched on this, the reason you dislike Elden Ring is because of too much connectivity, right? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think Bloodborne is probably that perfect mix, Josh, in the middle. Because from like Dark Souls 1, trying to get from the depths to Anne Orlando is disgustingly tedious, right? You got to run and run and run and run. And and then, but Elden Ring is too easy. It's too easy to get from Kaled all the way back down to the southwest side of Lyernia. Too easy. So, um, so you know, the, I think the middle ground is actually establishing a, an aforementioned hub, you know, Return to the Hunter's Dream, which isn't too easily. It's not like you can just, you like you can use the Hunter's Mark to get back to within your world, but you can't use it to get back to the Hunter's Dream. You have to actually use a lantern and reset the map and all that t- different stuff. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I actually think it is the perfect amount of connectivity if you like structure, but you do want some, you want to eliminate the tediousness, which is a reason why this game is excellent. Um, so I really liked the headstone idea because it really... It just simplifies, it, it doesn't make fast travel, it doesn't make your fast travel lazy. Because when you're playing Skyrim or Horizon, you know, you, you do hate yourself for being unwilling to ride all the way across the map. You do. You hate yourself from fast traveling from Markarth to uh, Riften, right? You, you're like, oh, I'm so lazy. I don't want to do all this. So I'm just going to fast travel <laughs> and sit. You feel like a couch potato in the game. <laughs> So I think Bloodborne's ability to like go back to your hub, but you you do have to go find your lantern. You can't just fast travel to your hub. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. You you have to you go find your lantern. You get to the hub, and then you go somewhere else. I think it is a beautiful balance between not abusing fast travel, but also eliminating the tedious uh, um, 
the tediousness that comes with traveling between areas in typically in FromSoft games. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree with that actually. And I think Dark Souls three does a slightly better job than Bloodborne, but Bloodborne is where they really started to um, nail that. I'd sure. say I um, really, um, so. I bought Dark Souls three. I can't wait to get into it. I have so many games that we, I have to play to keep catch up with you. I got <laughs> ghost of Tsushima, Dark Souls three, shovel Knight, uh, persona five. Oh my God. So many, so many that I have the to keep backlog. up with. The backlog, seriously. It grows. So, I, so, I, yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say with with Bloodborne, um, I'd say the bosses in this game are definitely some of the harder bosses in from software, even including Sekiro. Like, Sekiro is a single-player game, and you have that cadence of rhythm, back-and-forth balance. Uh, Bloodborne doesn't have that. It's very much you still have the dodge, like, and you don't have a block like you do in Dark Souls. It's just dodge, so you have to get really good at that. Um, so because of that, it is like it does put up a very intense challenge whenever it comes to the bosses. With that said, which one was your favorite, Jared? Which boss? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. Father Gasquin was very satisfying. Um, you know, trying to get that tempo down with him, and he's so af- aggressive and in your face. Um, he's so up in your face, and you can easily back yourself into tombstones and can't get away from him, and then he wrecks you. Um, so he's great. I, I really hated the Shadows of Yarnum. Those three dudes, I hated that fight. Mm. It was so stupid to me. Um, Rom the Vacuous <laughs> Spider, uh, the, the Vacuous Spider was a little bit more cinematic. Um, so yeah. that was okay, but it was more about... That one's like, my favorite. Yeah, okay. And then Mikalash was a little annoying, but I did enjoy that one. I think, and I might have said this um, to you separately, but Murgo's uh, Wet Nurse was my favorite fight. Um, and and that was because of the difficulty. I didn't actually, I forgot about this, but I didn't actually summon anyone for that one. I just went okay. in at, because I felt like I could sense a pattern early on. So I was right. like, all right, this isn't just me being overwhelmed. This is me like missing a pattern here. And I think if I just put the time in and kind of grind away and only attack in open spots, then I'll eventually get it. And it was actually the same approach that I had to fighting the great ape in Sekiro, which is just bide my time, wait for the attack cycle, and jump in and strike and come jump back out, right? And run around and mm-hmm. survive and attack. And I was able to successfully do uh, Margo's Wet Nurse that way. And so that was a very satisfying fight, and I like that one. Um, the others... Um, I, least I feel favorite. like say what again? What's your least favorite? Least favorite? Um I don't know. Mine's Mikalash. Mikalash, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Because he is he's yeah. so he's so like annoying. Yeah, um, he's super annoying. Tell me so tell me why those are your favorites and your least favorites while I think of my least favorite. I like ROM because it's cinematic, because it changes the world. Like, that was a big turning point in the game's narrative, you know, uh, with the Blood Moon coming up and everything. And after that, you go right, into the exactly nightmare. Right. And so a lot of the world changes from there. So that was a big reason why. On top of that, it was a much more difficult fight than it seems like at the start. Um, because he's just like a big pill. So you're thinking, and he doesn't seem to attack very much, but he's got all those. Um, magic moves and um obviously all the little spiders with him that one ended up being a much more difficult fight than i was expecting it to be plus i love just like 
you go to the academy, you're running through there, all the weirdness right before then. Um, you've got that crazy creature down at the bottom of the um, Bergenworth Academy that is like, I don't know what that thing is called, but like that was where like that whole point of the game was where like a lot of the Lovecraftian influence was coming in. And I was just really getting into the vibe of it. So that's why Rom is my favorite. And it was tough on its own way. Um, Mikolash is my least favorite because he was just super annoying. Like you have to chase him. And then he has that basically insta-kill move with his tentacle claw thing. Yeah. Um, which was super annoying because he t- starts to spam it in his third phase. And so I just, I, I didn't like him for that reason. Yeah, um, I yeah, that's fair. I, I would say Mikolash frustrated me a little bit because um, at the time, uh, Lucy was distracting me. Um, so I, I was like, I was like, I love you, but you need to leave the room. <laughs> so that was a little frustrating. Um, so that maybe that really contributed to my because I felt like I had a, a lot of FromSoft games will reward you for pattern recognition. If you can just get that pattern early on, you know, it's like, okay, this is how they are up to a third health. And then they change a little bit. And so you got to adjust a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Mikolash was someone that I was getting the hang of um, and and finally, a, you know, established a good routine with and was able to beat. Um, and so that one, I, I I did really enjoy that one. I would say actually my least favorite was the Celestial Emissary. Um, and, and that's largely just because it just was so, to me, completely out of place. I just didn't get it. What is that thing? Why is it there? Everything else looks gothic and tentacly and whatever else. And this thing looks like a mushroom. Like what? That was the celestials. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, it just kind of took me out of the game for a second. I was like, wait, what, what game am I playing again? These look like the mushroom dudes from some, from the dark souls one. Like what, what's going on here? And why are they just like what ISFs? clinic, the imposter Iaseska, why is, you know, why they turn into celestial emissaries and not mm-hmm. beasts? Like what, what's the difference between those things and beasts? Are they also beasts? They look like goo. Like, so that took me out of yeah. the game, to be honest with you. Everything Interesting. else, that's, that's why I didn't like it. And again, lore story is super important to me. I was like, why am I fighting a jellyfish on legs? What is going on here? What, what's this? <laughs> so, and, and I, I just, I don't need it not to be in there. I need an explanation for why it's there. And okay. why? Why if if the celestial emissary and I still have no lore explanation for why it's there. Yeah. I, I really not. don't know like why. Like the it's celestials there. in general. Like they're like for me the I think the first one I came across was in the the woods yes. when you're like facing all the snakes and stuff. You like if you go down a particular ravine, there's like one down there. Yeah. And I was like so taken aback because it is so jarring compared to the gothic, the blood, the beasts themes. And now you have this weird alien goo dude. Yeah. No, like, so I totally get that. I thought it was a cool thing in my mind, but I could see why like it not making sense was frustrating in its own right. And yeah, they don't give any answers for it. Like most of the lore is about the blood. It's about the nightmare and it has nothing to do with the celestials other than like the fact that you have major celestial beings, but even those don't look like them. So exactly. What's it called at the very end? The thing that that's like the final boss, like that thing, it doesn't look like a celestial and and all all the other things that are like that don't either. Yeah. So 
there's more similarities between Rom, the vacuous spider, who isn't a true great one. He's kind of like kin, I guess. And then mm-hmm. there's 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 a, a, a similarity between the moon demon and Vicar Amelia, even and the four the the blood starved beast. Like these are all like similar creepy crawly bloody gooey hairy things. And the celestial emissary looks like Jello. So it's like what you know what what is going on here? And I you know I I you know share that frustration with you. And and I'll take a side note to say that. I'm a little bit more okay now with Bloodborne's lore because there's some things that I missed and didn't put together. And I believe that Vata Vidya on YouTube, who you've you've raved about in past uh, FromSoft game reviews, has really nailed the lore and explained it pretty well. And there's some other sources mm-hmm. that I've looked up. So I feel like I understand the rough storyline and I'm, I'm more okay with it. But it's, again, to me, sad that I have to go to an outside source to find what's going on in game. I don't like that. I like the explanation of the game to be within the game because I like to think of these games as accessible to everyone across the world, not just people with an internet connection and fast YouTube speeds and unlimited data, okay? So that's just, you know, but not that some kids in Africa have a PlayStation 5 and even care what I'm saying. Anyway, but that's, I guess, I don't know. That's my weird pet peeve, I guess. But but I to do, me, yeah. To to me, Bloodborne is very much like they are going for that vibe. Yeah. So like you said, like they nail the vibe of weird, of unsettling, of Lovecraft. Like they nail that. But because of I think partially just the nature of Lovecraft, like they can't deliver on the reasoning <laughs> as to why everything is the way that it is. Like yeah. there is just a little bit of mm-hmm. um abstractness to the fact that this is a dream and a waking nightmare and you're going back and forth between the hunter's dream and what is the waking world and like there's just a little bit too much vagueness to the concept at the start that held them back yeah for most of the game yeah um and celestials are a great example of that for sure why is so so correct my memory if I'm wrong, but Garman is at the start of the game, right? Doesn't mm-hmm. isn't he with you while you're getting the IV injected? Yeah, he's well. Um, Am I wrong? I can't remember if Garman himself is. That's a great question. I know he's in the Hunter's Dream, right? But I can't remember if he uh, is there at that start. I think yes. I want to say yes because I think that's what he's I like remember. telling you about it. Like he's he's like soothing you in that moment and saying like everything's going to be fine. Yes, but then you wake up and die. Yeah. Um. So I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some allusion to why you are chosen to do the like seek a pale blood to ascend the hunt is a little note that you find in Isafka's clinic or whatever it is. Seek a pale blood to ascend to the hunt. Okay. Why were you chosen? What does pale blood have to do with anything? And there's no answer for that. I I've, haven't found an answer for that yet. Um, and then additionally, why is if Garman is trapped by the Great One who's the moon, why is he in the waking world? And instead of being, you know, in the hunter's dream the rest of the game, why is he in the waking mm-hmm. world? Like what happened in between? The, how is he able to do this? If he is trapped there, why does it seem like he has no free will when he's inside the dream, which is something that you know, in, in some sign bit, sound bits, if you catch him at specific times, you'll find him kind of muttering to himself and he's like, please, someone help me. Um, right. And so, you know, there's that. And But what's he doing at the start of the game? So it starts a little rough lore-wise. And um, additionally, um, what... Uh, there's just things... There's things in there that I don't... 
I don't understand why they were in there from a lore perspective. And so this leads me to an important mechanic in the game. And I, I'm kind of going off the rails here. We're deviating from what your questions are, but that's fine. No, let's, let's continue on. One of the, one of the, um, think one of the important and most fun, to be honest with you, one of the most important and most fun aspects of the game is the, the dungeons, the, uh, chalices, chalice dungeons that you can descend. You can use these chalice dungeons to, uh, open, tombstones to the deepest parts underneath Yarnum, these chalice dungeons, right? And these are made by the Thumerians, which are an ancient civilization of people, and they develop technologies far beyond our creation and had the ability to communicate with the Great Ones, which are these kind mm-hmm. of like, uh, they are physical, yes, but they have supernatural spirits and souls and stuff like that, but they can be killed because they are physical. And um, so the Thumerians were able to con- con- commune with them but offended them, thus leading to the chasm and uh, the people who discovered the tombs underneath Yarnum years and years ago reawakened the ability to commune with the Great Ones and thus started talking to them and then introduced the Old Blood, et cetera, and that's how this whole thing started. But because of the way the dungeons are set up, because of the way that they're set up, they are looked at by the majority of players as as a place to grind souls and to kind of level up your character in between doing the main quest because of how they're placed. At least that's how I looked at them because they come with stipulations like the, um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like a vicious version of each dungeon. There's like the, the dungeon that's, I don't know, weird, like an odd dungeon. And then there's the, or maybe it's uncanny. And then there's the vicious version where you can be invaded while you're in the dungeon. So it just mm-hmm. to me, it looks like it's nothing but a, a game mechanic when in reality, it could be the very foundation of the lore and where you get almost all of your answers. So right. to, to me, it was like quite frustrating to almost have that as an addendum when that should have been the place for all, where the lore was really fleshed out and then you answer questions in the main storyline. I feel like they missed an opportunity there because they they are, <laughs> I say they, because Miyazaki is like a little self-righteous about his vagueness. <laughs> like I don't yeah, know how else to say that. Sure. But like the dungeons are where it all started according to what we can piece together. And so I need more answers. I need just to open a chest instead of finding a weapon or more ritual blood. I need a document that tells me what's going on. That would make the game, at least to me, two times more entertaining is to mm-hmm. know that I'm going down into the dungeons, not only to grind, but to find answers. If you love a game so much, you you want to know everything about it. You want to know the answers. You want to dig deep and understand things. And I made this comment to a friend today. I am escaping reality by playing these games. No, my world is not as dark and disgusting as, as Yarnum, right? Like, that's fine. That's fine. But I also have to admit that there are sections of human history that I don't know about. As much as I love documents like the Bible and the Epic of Gilgamesh and and, Stor- and Homer and like anecdotes and Socrates and Aristotle and whatever else, there are gaps in my knowledge of human history. In a video game, in a cohesive, small, mini world where Miyazaki plays God and can write a cohesive story, he chooses not to. And to me, that just irks me just a little bit. And I think, and I say that even with Bloodborne as a relatively cohesive vibe and story, I still just get frustrated with, like, I feel like there's missed opportunities here and there. And um, they're just questions unanswered and, and different things like that. And 
it finally soothed my soul a little bit when I went and saw Vatavidya and he kind of broke down some of the some of the lore behind Bloodborne and it's, it's such powerful storytelling. Miyazaki knows how to tell tragedies, but I feel like he almost decides not to go in depth when he could sometimes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm ranting just a little bit, but and I, I really do like this game. Um, uh, it's just that sometimes I, I'm just like, I, you know, I'm sitting on my chair playing this game and I'm like, really? <sighs> Another thing I don't know and will never understand. So, <laughs> but it is Yeah, Bloodborne is. is particularly egregious with that. You think so? It really is. I you, think so. You think and, more than and, other FromSoft games? Yeah, I do. I really do. Like Dark Souls, you have all the item descriptions, and Bloodborne has some of that, but it's like it's very intentionally vague at a lot of times, and it yeah. is kind of going for a vibe with it. I think you hit it on the head, though. Like the dungeons is where you bring that stuff out, and they just didn't. Like they just didn't. I mean, they did in some small way, but not on the level that they could have. Um, so, and I like uh, those, they're totally optional, you know? So like, right. that would right. have been the place, like if you don't want to overburden people with that stuff, that's where you yes. put it. Like for me, mm-hmm. I didn't touch the dungeons my first playthrough, um, of this game. And it was just because they were slightly bothersome to me. And also I, that was back when I had not played very many of these games. So like, it was sure. just the vagueness of it. I was like, huh, I got to find this like particular ingredient whatever like i'm just gonna keep pushing forward in the game yeah um so that's definitely the place to do it yeah bloodborne is like it's a vibe like that's what they're going for and and from software and miyazaki they are so good at building worlds yes with yes vibes you know master world or build uh, world builders absolutely yes but this is the one out of all of them that like you're seeing the cracks in the follow through you know yeah Yeah. the actual like depth that you hoped would be there is revealing itself to be shallow in several different ways yeah and and that's the biggest flaw of bloodborne i'd say for sure yeah so i think you hit it on the head i think you nailed it with that respect um that being said the gameplay is great i i have no issue with that out of all of the different gameplay systems where would you rank bloodborne's right behind sekiro and it's close it's close because the speed is there the aggression is there. You, I love, I love it when a game encourages me to play aggressive. It's like you're gonna die a lot. Just accept it. Stop playing defensive. Play aggressive. And I, I love that about this game. It's like get up in your face. And I think that's fantastic. I love, I love the frequency with which you come across other um, uh, kind of hunters. I guess like Dura in Old Yarnum. I love that that little mechanic that he's shooting from the tower and you have to escape him. Um, in addition to fighting the other bosses or uh, sure. sorry, enemies, I love that. Um, I I love the there's this girl who's a member of the choir in um, Master Willem's the the house of the College of Bergenworth. She's in the upstairs yeah. area and she'll wreck you. She is difficult. <laughs> and so if you're not if you don't have someone summoned with you, like you're gonna get wrecked. And I love that. I love the PvP in Bloodborne. I think it's the best. PvP that From Software has to offer that I've played so far. Um, Don't got those backstabs. Yes, yes, and I just I love it. I think it's great, and I don't even like PvP, so I thought it was fantastic. Um, so that was that was that. But the the combat is is really really enjoyable. Um, and what weapon did you end up getting to the end of the game with? So I actually used the um, the saw cleaver. I think. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I started with the axe, though, but then I found the saw cleaver, and I was like, oh, this is much better, just because it's faster. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not for going sure. for more damage. I'm just going for as many hits as I can rack up in the shortest amount of time. So I maxed that one out. I actually have a plus 10 weapon in this, Josh, is actually the reason why I am... So let's, let me just say this. You hurt my feelings <laughs> when you <laughs> told me... I'm sorry. Me, I and that's exactly okay. I think it's say. totally justified. And I, this is why I retain my title of casual, in my opinion. But the, you, you told me, you're like, well, that's the second From Software game you haven't finished. And now it's tradition at this point. And it hurt my, that hurt my feelings. That wounded my pride. But it's true. It's true. I... Um, now, Sekiro, I enjoyed enough. I really should have just finished it, and I don't even know. I think I just got caught up in a new game, and so I just didn't have any interest in going back, but I'd, I just didn't finish it. But, but Bloodborne, I really just fell out of love with it by the time the end of the game came around. And I was also a little spoiled, too, because I'd had a plus 10 weapon, and I had just ran through the last several areas of the game OP is all get out even amygdala which is that's now how I say it because that creepy guy's voice which I love that little snippet of voice acting oh my goodness I love that um but uh but anyway so I I was a little OP in some of these areas and so when I went to Nightmare Frontier and Nightmare of Mensis I actually did pretty well uh, I was pretty pretty powerful and I enjoyed that and then I come back to the Hunter's Dream only to find that Garamond just doesn't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating to me. And I just, I was like, ah, screw you. I'm not even going to respect you enough to finish you off. No, I really, I'm really not that angry about it. But, but I just have no, I had, at that point, I'd lost all motivation. I just wasn't connecting to the story. I didn't understand what was going on. The combat was great, but also, I don't know, I just, I fell a little out of love with it. And I think I offended you too because this is one of your favorite games, so I didn't mean to, but. You know, it's not. Like, I used to say that Bloodborne was. <gasps> I don't know if I could rank it in my favorite games. And and I really? actually have a similar reason, Jared. I feel like every time I play through this game, I also fall out of love with it. So, wait, so let me back up because I was actually uh, operating under the impression that I could come into this podcast and ask you why this was one of your favorite games of all time. I can't do that you know, anymore, can I? What happened? I think it's just the last this this last time I played through it. I played through it, I beat it, and I had never played through um what's the area that you have to go th- with the chariot to um it's like one of the side oh, areas. Oh, Canehurst. Uh, Canehurst. I was like, yeah. it starts with a C. I can't think of what its yeah. name is. I had never played through Canehurst. Um, I've only played through part of the Old Blood DLC. And I was like, after this playthrough, I'm really going to go for it. And I just like, I found the new areas and I was like, meh. Like, I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, I'm good. Yeah. Like, I, it's putting up some challenge to me and I, I just don't, I don't care for it. And at that point, I realized like, I like Bloodborne. But it's not one of my favorite games of all time. Like, it is a great game. I enjoyed my time with it. I think, you know, talking about what we talked about with the default segment, like the focus of it is there. And so that's why it was so popular at the time. Um, Dark Souls is a little too broad for a lot of people. And it's it's already much too vague in its own way. Um, 
So it's very inaccessible in that respect. Bloodborne's a lot more accessible and focused on what it is. So a lot of people love it for that reason. But in my mind, like, it's... It's straightforwardness doesn't do it for me. Like once I figured it out and once I'm at the place where I finished it and I've done the standard stuff, like I don't see a reason to continue with it like I do with a like a Dark Souls game or like an Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like and, and so I connect with what you said there. Like, I, I really do like the falling out of love side of things. Like I really I connect with that because yeah. I've felt that multiple times with this game and I and I love the game. Yeah. Objectively, looking at its combat, looking at its its game design, the world, the art direction, even the music, the vibes of it all, like we've been saying, great. Yeah. Nailing all that stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. And I yeah. can appreciate it objectively for Agreed. that. Yeah. But me being in it, like mm-hmm. Especially after having now at this point played through all the other games, it's not at my top. Like it, it it's not at the top for me. So yeah, um, and and I just I wonder. Part of the reason too why I fell out of love with it is because, uh, screw, from software allowed me to screw myself yet again with forcing me into a specific ending because of how I had played the game. And and by that I mean like like Sekiro makes it not obvious in an undertale sort of way that if you if you change how you play the game you can get certain endings right and um and and I like that I like that little added detail I actually don't mind that that's a vague way of playing Sekiro it's like you could you could kill the people that you could make very poor decisions and kill the people that you should be defending and like you're an awful person and that's fine I I really like that actually but this game I to get the true ending or whatever else, you have to play a certain way. And I just screwed myself because of the vagueness of whatever else. I sent the mm. supposed woman of prophecy, who's just kind of like the, the in the game, kind of a corner prostitute almost. Um, <laughs> I sent her to ISFSCA's clinic instead of the church. Oof. Right? Exactly. Which I didn't, sucks. The, yeah, once I realized what ISFSCA's yeah. clinic was doing, I was like, oh, I feel yeah. so bad for sending all the... NPCs there that I had. <laughs> exactly. I thought and that that was the safe place. Exactly. Actually. Because the church dude is creepy. Right. The he's church like, dude is super nasty. Yeah, yeah. He's like, send them all here. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, commitment to the vibe, but also clearly red flags, right? Like, come on. Right. I feel like any, any girls should understand this. Like the nice guy giving you clear red flags and he turns out to actually be the nice guy. <laughs> I, you know, and then you think the, the, you know, anyway, anyway, and then, it, yeah, so I, I just, the, the, yeah, I screwed myself. Like, because that's one way you get one third of the umbilical cord. And then mm-hmm. um, the other is uh, uh, Margot's wet nurse. And then the other is, um, uh, shoot, I don't remember. I can't remember. Aren't there four? There's like technically four There's that you can find. four, but two of them I, I can't access because I missed the point. The, because of how the... Yeah, game played out for no return, yeah. but I yeah that remember. sucks like that yeah. definitely sucks because then you don't have access to the moon presence which to me is what the game should end with yeah like yeah like german is okay uh yeah like you're gonna struggle against another hunter that's interesting but to face a great one like that's what it seems like the game is leading up to yeah 
with with the nightmare nightmare of mensis you go to that area of the game which was like in its own way so cool actually one of my questions that i have jared is what your favorite area of the game is for me it's the nightmare of mensis because you have the um insanity and you have to be careful about that as you're like ducking behind cover coming from the tower and once you get up into the actual castle itself like there's just so much going on in it that i loved from a variety of perspectives and getting to Mergo's wetness like it felt like it was building all the way up to this final fight against the great one yeah and if you didn't do everything that the game wanted you to to that point you face german which is fine, or yeah. you can opt out of that entirely and just let him kill you or whatever. Um, Which I might do that just to say I finished the game. I might go do that, like literally in the next. That's what 10 I did. That's what I did my, my first time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why the heck not? Yeah, you know? yeah. I but I totally understand what you're coming like what you're saying with that. So let me just make some suggestions here, just to like bounce them off of you because i i like Let's to hear it jared productive. fix miyazaki here yes yeah i know how you sh- have the solutions. <laughs> how huge <laughs> such hubris um so <laughs> so there's essentially some tension apparently there has to be because of this description between what you are trying to accomplish as an agent of the moon moon great one is it moon child what is it i think it's just moon presence moon presence pardon me pardon me so the moon presence is a great one in a technical sense. And the reason we know this is that if you beat the great one, uh, the moon presence, you become a great one. You become this slithering little worm and you turn into a great one eventually, which is kind of unique. That's cool. I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 German is an agent of the moon presence. But at the same time, the moon presence is having you seek out and kill other great ones such as, I guess, the Celestial Emissary, Ebrietus, uh, Daughter of Kos, I guess. I don't really know how that ties in or something like that, or Daughter of Ebrietus, I don't remember. I think Ebrietus is the one that started the Old Blood, if I'm not mistaken, but... Okay. The lore is crazy, so whatever. Yes, so the lore is weird. So, So the Moon Presence is obviously working against other Great Ones, which leads me to believe that there's some room for tension building be at the end of some of these boss fights. Like, let's make some of the boss fights like Amygdala, right? Amygdala is this kind of like senseless being. There's a bunch of minor amygdalas that hang out in uh, Yargul, the Unseen Village, and mm. which was probably my favorite map, to be honest with you. I just liked it. It was complicated and it didn't make sense, but it was also very clear when you first get there that there's more to unlock, so I, I liked that a lot. Um, uh, and Dark Beast Parl unlocks a massive shortcut back to Old Yarnum, but you kind of don't really need yeah. it because you've already beat that area, so it's like, eh, it's weird. Um, but I do like Yargul. That's probably my favorite. And I, one of my least favorites was actually the Forest of Bergenworth because I felt it was far inferior to the forest in uh, Dark Souls 1, which was I way agree. more enjoyable. So that's just my mm-hmm. personal preference. Um, but so let's let's fix this just a little bit. The if, they're, if you're being controlled by the Moon Presence, who kind of is controlling Garman and therefore is controlling you, which I, I don't mind that layering there, then why is it that when you destroy Margot's wet nurse that there's not an option to, like, switch up the story a little bit and pursue other, like, kind of choose the service of your Great Ones? And, and I know that you're able to do this because you can choose 
who you want to serve, like the vile bloods, right? That's a Canehurst thing. If you go to Canehurst and beat Lord, whatever he is, you get access to the vile bloods and you can serve the, the undead queen, which is unique. Or you can serve um, the, uh, what's it called? The vermin hunters, I guess. He's unique. That's a cool one. Um, there's, you could, uh, you know, what these different, like, areas or groups that you can join and stuff. And that was the same way in Dark Souls. You could become a dragon member or whatever else. And I like that. I like that thing. But where is the tension in the plot? There doesn't seem to be any. It's just you kill everything. And I, I just don't <laughs> right. think that's compelling enough of a story. Why is it that the Murgo's wet nurse can't be this dynamic great one that wants to have you kill the moon presence? And so at that point, there's a pivotal plot change in which you are seeking the last umbilical cord to bring out the moon presence. You know, instead of killing Murgo, Murgo gives you the umbilical cord. So I feel like that's a great plot change because you have to choose whether to spare or to or to fight this creature, right? You get the umbilical cord either way, but then you're definitely picking sides. Then you have a reason to face Garman. Why is he trying to kill you? It's not a good enough reason. Like, I don't, I don't, what to spare you yeah to me that's not good enough it, it's just not yeah. like the, yeah. honestly you yeah. can't see this jared but i'm i'm shaking my head in agreement okay like the end of the game does not stick the landing and you're pointing out a lot of solutions that would have been better why aren't there great ones in the dungeons why aren't there great ones in the chalice dungeons that you can connect with why is uh, why doesn't the brain that you kill in the Nightmare of Mensis, which is a cool touch. Did you kill the brain? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a cool touch. I like that. If you do a ge- this is what's really cool. If you do a gesture over your head of make contact and you allow the full gesture to go through because it takes about 12 or 20 seconds or something like that, you get like, I don't even know what it is. It's something like another gesture. I don't remember. It's some little, weird little trick you can get. But these things clearly have the ability to communicate with human beings. So where, where is the complexity of plot in trying to communicate? Why is it that Rom, the vacuous spider, is the one that sets off the blood moon? He's not even a true great one, or she. What, what's going on here? I just need more. Yeah. I need more. You're not doing enough. There's no compelling reason for me to play the game other than for enjoyment of combat and aesthetic because the lore is way off in left field, and it's not... It's not even fathomable because the people who know the most about it can't even agree on the details. That's what's so and crazy. And it doesn't it doesn't deliver on any one particular vision either. It's shallow in that respect. So And how much of Miyazaki's creation of these games could be uh, heightened, I guess, if he says that, you know, if someone brings to him this theory and he says actually he's checking what they bring to him against his canon and says, you actually got it right this time. This is correct. And the fans go ballistic because they're like, whoa, that could mean this and this and this and this and this. And I, I don't know. Am I expecting too much? Maybe. Maybe. But I just, <laughs> I, I probably am. I definitely am. But I'm just I am too, though. Like I want like a yeah. Lord of the Rings experience. Yes. And I'm not getting that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's a great analogy. I want something equivalent to the lore that's fleshed out in Narnia or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, which is pretty good too. Like that that's what I want. I want some of this anime level <laughs> anime level plot and lore and details. I don't mind the monologuing, but you gotta give me some good information. It's not like DBZ. Yeah. I need I need some info. So I don't know. There's and just it's a couple not yeah. quite 
there. It's, it's just not. not quite there. And that's like even that's all Miyazaki games like Elden Ring too. Like with George R. R. Martin, my hope was like, oh, this will be the one that delivers on that. And it's not quite there either. It's like, oh, like you, you got the gameplay, yeah. you've got the world, you got the vibes. You just have to deliver on the lore, and it's right there, but it's yeah. not quite. Yeah, I am. I am not. I'm not made that decision for Elden Ring yet because I, I don't know. For me, right now, yeah, it, I guess that's fair. I sh- probably shouldn't call. No, it that's fair. If you feel, if you feel like you're like, uh, I'm like, I'm not feeling it right now. That's a totally fair way to feel about this game halfway through, or however far along you are. I don't know how far along you are in Elden Ring, but but for me, it actually feels fairly cohesive. I, I'm considering thinking of this game as like multiple different warring factions. You get a little bit of the history from the blacksmith uh, in Lyernia who helps you out, and he's telling you don't go to carry a stronghold, et cetera, all this different stuff. So I, I'm actually really enjoying Elden Ring's lore for right now. I'll let you know at the end of the game if it wraps it up smoothly and we'll talk about it. But for me, Bloodborne, I just was like, I just need more, man. You're just not telling me enough. I, I, you, you screwed me over halfway through the ISFCA's clinic thing. Now I don't, you know, I could tell that the people that I sent there were turned into these squishy things. Like that's, that's very clear to me. But now I'm left with the only person I sent to the chapel was the crazy old woman and she's of no help. So thanks a lot for that. <laughs> like there's just nothing there. There's no, your, your decisions don't matter. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. So. Which you sent her there to kill her because she was annoying, right? I it kind of, yeah. Cause I was just like, well, I, we'll see what happens. I don't like her. So I'm going to send her to the chapel. And then yeah. there's the guy that's, across from the the corner lady and uh, right. if you tell him to do something he does the opposite so it's like he I does sent, the opposite yeah yeah so i sent him to the chapel he went to the clinic and died uh so there's just so much i don't even know man there's just there's a lot that just you, i need you nailed the the lovecraft you nailed the aesthetic you nailed the combat combat's great i love the the, the dungeons i love the chalice dungeons as a way to improve combat and practice and get some momentum and do a run through and do these cute little loops with chests in them i like that a lot love that one of the strongest aspects of the game but you missed an opportunity for giving me some depth and uh mm-hmm. I, I will forever find that a disappointment any other final gripes, Jared? I think we've pretty much talked through everything with this game, but is there any other particular point you wanted to make? Really not. I feel like the fast travel is really well done. The combat's really aggressive and fast. I really like that. I like the leveling up thing. I like the Carol runes. I like the difference between insight and blood echoes. Um, the doll's kind of weird, but I like it. It's a very simple mechanic, and she's kind of like you know, waifu for everyone who plays the game. I like, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, other than that, not too many gripes other than the absence of Garmin throughout. Why isn't he another, the, the most obvious plot hole, I think, really, is why isn't Garmin explaining things in between blood moon phases? Why, yeah. why can't you yeah. go to him for information during certain things? So why is it, like, you can make a game vague, but let me, if I have a conversation with a character and the next conversation I have is with Garmin, why isn't that he gives me more information on that character? There's just no... So for Skyrim, the answer to your lore questions was go find a book and read it, literally. Like you could pull books off of bookshelves and that funny little quirky mechanic and, and open them and read them and it would give you a little snippet of information. That's the detail that I want. I need answers, I need books hidden in cute little chambers uh, or gothic little chambers, whatever you want to say. I need answers, I need more because otherwise you're not convincing me to enjoy your game. 
I, I just, I'm playing it out of obligation. <laughs> so it's, it is, that's, that's really it. That's my biggest gripe is that I wanted more lore and I didn't get it. And the vagueness even got worse from Dark Souls 1 to this game. Because at least Dark mm -hmm. Souls 1 has that really nice opening cinematic that kind of sets factions apart. And factions, that's the fantasy baseline. You need factions at war, that's fantasy. That's all the fantasy. So I, I just was missing some of that. Other than that, I really have no complaints. Combat's really, really enjoyable. So would you say, Jared, that this is a candidate for the Hall of Games? <sighs> that's a really tough call. I Is it a tough call? Why is that? Because I don't... I just, you can put Dark Souls 1 into the Hall of Games because it's a, and we did put it in there, I think, right? Yeah. 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 That one's a pioneer. Yeah, you exactly. Know? It's like, exactly. They forged the path. Bloodborne's yes. following that. Right. So it's like, does it live up to the standards? And I think in some ways it's lesser, in some ways it's better. I really love the simplification of the combat. The world building is fantastic. The, the boss is, for the most part, enjoyable and within theme, other than the Celestial Emissary and... I love what you could have done with the lore. Not what you actually did, but what you could have done. As well as, like, I don't know, a lot of the characters. It really is a cohesive package. I'm, I'm really being nitpicky, and I did enjoy my playthrough. I just eventually, at the end of the game, fell out of love with it. But mm -hmm. I really didn't hate logging in and playing this game, and I loved the, creep, the creepy aspect of it. I love being creeped out. I would, I would actually say yes. I would, I would say go play this game. It falls short of what it could be, but it is a fantastic game. What do you this think? is an example to me of it's almost a victim of From Software's other successes. Mm. Like if From mm. Software had only made Bloodborne, this would be, you know, on everybody's top ten. Video I could agree with time. that. I could agree. With but that because they've had yeah. other experiences and other games that have delivered on more ways, Bloodborne does seem like oh, it's not quite at that level, but. If you look at it objectively, it still is. Like, it still is a From Software masterpiece, you know, in its own way. Like, obviously, there's stuff that's messed up, and obviously, the, the lore does not get delivered upon. But to me, I'm like, man, I cannot not put Bloodborne into the Hall of Games. Like, this is some people's favorite game of all time. This is some people's only From Software game that they'll ever play, and the only one they'll ever enjoy because it has its own unique aspects to it that other from software games will never deliver on. And that includes Elden Ring. I think Elden Ring is definitely like the, it's the buffet of from software. So yeah, for sure. It's hard not to like it, but yeah, even bloodborne like on its own, I think it stands the test of time and I think it could should, it, it, it could definitely be a, a, a hall of game. It does, and uh, it is worth whatever price you pay for it. Sometimes it goes on sale, and you can grab it and stuff. And it really does hold up because it's a very well-made game. So it does hold up even today. It feels like it's, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you can feel the age on games. Like you can see mm -hmm. the age on movies. But no, it, it holds up. It's still enjoyable to this day. I can't say the same about I agree. some other games that I've played. So for sure, it's really good stuff. All right, well then. Uh, Kachunk, Kachunk, another game into the Hall of Games there. Um, Bloodborne entered in. I would say out of all of the modern From Software titles, this is the one that probably is questionable. Oh, I guess you could put Dark Souls 2 on there as well. But we have not had that discussion yet. I'd love to have that discussion, Jared. <laughs> 
Uh, but Bloodborne, out of all the more modern ones, Sekiro and Elden Ring and Dark Souls 3 and everything, like this is the one that's like, ah, you know, there's definitely some drawbacks to it. But even so, still a great game, still a great experience. And and quite frankly, I would almost recommend it over a Dark Souls or a Sekiro, depending would, on what kind of gamer yeah, you are. Yes, I would say if you actually want to be introduced to from software games, Bloodborne is probably your best entry point, to be honest. No with you. better title. Yeah. I 100% okay, agree. Okay, I'm with glad that you theory. agree. I'm glad you agree. Yeah. No better title. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, that is in the Hall of Games. There you go. Bloodborne, the next entry there. We need to find a bad game to review here because we've yeah. been just putting all these great yeah. games in. Yeah, well, we've been doing the great ones for sure. I am. Um, Oh, it's funny because we we cover a lot of like the games that we play in, and a lot of them we like. Sometimes if we hate them, we'll rag on them. <laughs> it's like we yeah. we're never going to cover that one, but <laughs> but I I certainly yeah we should definitely grab some games and uh, that maybe we think we could actually would struggle to put in or take out or whatever else, and we'll go from there. But I will say one last thing that I forgot to mention is that I love the variety of weapons and armor and clothing in Bloodborne. It just the, it, it nails it all the way down to the last details of the aesthetics all the way around. I will say that. So that's another thing that's a strong point for sure. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Bloodborne's a lot more um, pure in yes. that respect yes, than Dark is. Souls. That's a like good Dark Souls is like all over the place. Oh, it is, yeah. When it comes to its uh, equipment and weapons and stuff. So Yeah. All right. Well, uh, be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. Drop us a five-star review. Check out our past episodes. All that available to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decision. And if you don't, tell us why. I mean, why wouldn't Bloodborne be in the Hall of Games? Tell us. We'd like to know. And we could talk about that in the next episode. Until then, this is the Video Game Bard with his good friend, the casual mercenary, Jared Benson. <laughs> I just have one question, Josh. Let's hear it. You want to go play Elden Ring? <laughs> I wish I could. No. <laughs> I really do. I I am I am stacked full of work for the evening. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, gotcha. So I am not going to be able to. But All this right. weekend, I am going to put in quite a bit of time. Well, just know I'm missing you. <laughs> I put in a bunch of time last evening. That was my day to do it. Gotcha. Today, unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> I Friday's too busy for me at school. Um, but I will see you on the flip side of that. Sounds good. Until then, this is the Video Game Bard, and we're going to be signing off. Thanks for listening.